own, all of creation, the innocent bystander is condemned. What on earth does this mean? Or maybe I should say, what does this mean on earth? Just as man is now mortal, he lives, he becomes sick and die, so too does creation. We see this played out in every season, every year, as we celebrate new life in the spring and enjoy the abundance we have now in the summer and autumn and then watch as everything slowly dies away to winter. Disease and death are prevalent and life is transitory. But there is more than that. This planet that we have been given as our temporary home, we have been entrusted with its care. Instead of caring for it, we have plundered its resources on and under the land, to the depths of the ocean. We've polluted the air, the water and the soil, all the things essential for our daily life. And if that were not enough, we forced animals into cages, driven others out of their land and annihilated scores of species. Everything is for us a temporary pleasure and a delight to be used and disposed of, while we hunger after better, brighter and newer. So surely creation groans, groans in pain at all we've done to it. Perhaps it groans in pain with all the blood that we have shed down through the ages as it takes within itself the bodies brutally cut down in war after war. These would be good enough reasons for creation to groan were it not for the restraining hand of God. Creation would be right in rising up against us in outrage at the injustice that we have meted out on it. But Paul is not speaking as a modern-day eco-warrior against man's thoughtless regard for the planet. He's speaking to a group of Christians in Rome, encouraging them through difficult times. And I want to stay with creation for a moment as Paul is refocusing their eyes. It's not about an individual or even a small group who are suffering. All of creation has suffered through sin. This picture is so much larger than we first think. Wrapped up in our own suffering, it's easy to forget what is happening to others, whether they're in the next house or street or town or even a country, let alone what we've done to our whole created planet. But God is not even saying, think about the cow that was slaughtered for your lunch. He's talking about how creation is groaning in longing as in the pains of childbirth, looking forward. These are not the groans of pain for what is happening now, but groans in expectation. Perhaps some of us can remember back to a time of giving birth and the pain involved in bringing that child into this world. Mixed with the physical pain was that thought that in any moment I will be holding this child in my hands. All the pain and suffering are long forgotten. If we look back to verse 21, creation has been put in bondage and even now is waiting to be liberated from this cycle of life and death. It's looking forward to being restored to its former glory before the fall. I'm not saying that every stone has a life within it. That's probably a totally different religion. But Jesus did say that even if the people did not praise him, the stones would cry out. 
I think it's more a fact of all of creation is subject to God's authority and will obey whatever he says. So if it means that God will enable the stones to cry out in praise or even the dead bones to come back to life as they did in Ezekiel, then that is what will happen. So instead of despair, creation is groaning in anticipation and expectation. But what about us? Throughout our lives, we all suffer. Rather like my running story at the beginning, some people seem to go through life without a care, while others seem to have hardship after hardship thrust upon them. In fact, for some of the clients that come to me in the food bank, we listen to their stories and often wonder how some of them are still standing. Yet something that always stands out to us is that those who come in with the greatest amount of need are often the most joyous and optimistic people. When we first read this passage, we could be forgiven initially for thinking that Paul is making light of people's suffering and that he's no idea what we go through today, whether it's our own personal suffering or the things that we hear on the news, wars, natural disasters, human trafficking, other depravities. Suffering surrounds us still today. Just because Paul didn't have the internet doesn't mean he wasn't closely acquainted with suffering. If you follow his story through Acts, you will see just how much persecution this man had. In fact, in his own words in 2 Corinthians, when he compares himself to others, he says, I've worked so much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death time and time again. He's had the lashes five times, three times beaten with the rod, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, days and nights in the open sea, constantly on the move, been in dangers from rivers, bandits and fellow Jews and Gentiles. In fact, there was nowhere where this guy didn't go that he suffered. So I think we can safely conclude that Paul knew what he was talking about when it comes to suffering. He's certainly not downplaying the suffering of others. As Tom mentioned the other week, we need to be honest in our own suffering rather than wearing the mask of, I'm fine. God expects us to be real in our pain and grief. In the depths of our despair, we can tell Jesus just how bad it is. We can shout and scream and moan and wail. But in all of that, if we listen, we will hear him say, I know. We don't have a high priest who is removed from the reality of our lives, but one who is touched by our infirmities. I can't answer you today as to why God allows suffering and in what situations there's not time, but we have to accept that suffering is here. God allows it and he uses it in whatever form for higher purposes. And I've got four reasons that he uses suffering today. The first one is so that we can identify with Christ. If our whole lives were easy and free from trouble, how can we identify as followers of Christ, who was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief? Secondly, God uses suffering to refocus our vision. When we suffer, 
we forget about the world and all its trappings and we think about the world to come. It's important that we set our minds on the thing above and not on the things of this earth. The third thing is God uses our suffering to purge us of wrong attitudes and and priorities. He drives us to our knees in prayer. How often have we struggled along in some difficulty and then discovered that God is giving us the grace of patience? And finally, God uses suffering for encouragement. When we go through difficult times, it is much easier for us to identify with and minister to others who are also suffering. God has great purposes in our Christian lives and no one goes through their Christian journey without escaping any trials or disappointments. But how we deal with our suffering is extraordinary. It's a witnessing opportunity. If we pretend that we don't suffer, then actually we're doing everybody a disservice. We're not being honest with ourselves, nor helpful to those around us, nor do we honour Christ's suffering. Most people are not converted when they see people who have got everything right in their lives. Rather, they come to know Christ when they're knocked down and they come to the end of themselves and they look up for help. And this is when it is our opportunity to point others to God as a source of comfort, healing and salvation in the midst of suffering. There's much false teaching around today that says if you walk by faith and you name it and claim it, your troubles will go away. That is just pure heresy, a false gospel, and has no foundation in our Bible. In fact, if we think about Job, who was the most righteous man on the earth, he was singled out to suffer because God had a higher purpose for his life. Well, how about in the New Testament when Jesus deliberately sent the disciples out on a boat with a storm coming in to test their faith? In fact, James even says in his his letter, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So back to this passage. Paul had a very realistic view of Christian life. He knows that Christians will suffer and that God intends suffering for ultimate good. We're not alone in our suffering. Rather, God sends his Holy Spirit to minister to us, to comfort and encourage us. And he gives us the supernatural grace to persevere day after day. Along with grace, to withstand or bear, we should also consider hope. Hope is not when we cross our fingers and wish for a good outcome. It's not even optimism. Hope is an integral part of our faith. Hebrews 11 puts it this way. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we cannot see. As Christians, our hope rests on God's promises, both the ones that have happened and the ones to come. The promise that we are already saved by faith, that God has adopted us as children, and that he will not, he will not condemn us, but bring us through to eternal life. 
and an eternal life with him. The Holy Spirit reminds us of this hope when we choose to listen. We spent a lot of time thinking about suffering this morning, but the point of this passage is that Paul wants our suffering to be in perspective. He says that it's not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Although we're living in a time of suffering, we can look forward with hope to the redemption of our bodies. We will get brand spanking new bodies. No dodgy hips, no poor eyesight, no loss of hearing. God is watching what we are doing with what he's given us now. Imagine what it will be like when we live in eternity with great bodies and minds and we won't sin or even be tempted. When we lift our eyes away from ourselves and look forward, we will then realise that all our suffering, all the sin and evil is but a drop in the ocean compared to God's amazing glory. C.S. Lewis put it very well in The Great Divorce. He said, If all hell's miseries were gathered together, it would be as if one drop of ink had been dropped into that great ocean, to which the Pacific Ocean itself is only a molecule. We cannot even begin to comprehend the enormity of God's glory. If the prophet Isaiah or even the Apostle John collapsed at the mere glimpse of God's glory, then perhaps our current view is too small. So what are we to do? There are two things I want us to take away from today's passage. Whilst we need to be honest about our suffering, we need to remember that we have a sure and certain hope which cannot be taken away from us. There was a minister of the 1600s, Samuel Rutherford, who wrote to a lady in his congregation who was recently widowed. And he said, I'm now expecting to see with joy and comfort that you defy troubles and that your soul is a castle that may be besieged but not taken. Perhaps our attitude should be, instead of fine, we can say that we are besieged but not taken. Secondly, we need to wait patiently and eagerly for our final redemption and transformation. Some of us are no doubt very patient and are very good at waiting patiently. Others of us are less patient and more eager, like an excited puppy. Finding that balance between patience and eagerness is rather tricky. John Stott once said we are to wait neither so eagerly that we lose our patience or so patiently that we lose our eagerness. Now, if you remember my analogy at the beginning, let us take the final word of encouragement again from Hebrews as we deal with suffering in our lives. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Father God, you know everything that happens in our lives. You know each one of us you know those of us who are really struggling and suffering today 
Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us now. Help us to lift our eyes off our suffering and to look up to you. Fill us with your hope once again. As we leave here today, when we face times where we are besieged, let us not be daunted, Father, but listen for your voice so that we can witness to others that our perspective is right and that we can see and know that your glory will come soon. Amen. Mm-hmm.